Welcome to David Clark's We Are Superman podcast, episode number 218. I am your host, Bill Stahl, and this is The Power Play. Thank you very much for joining me on this Power Play episode. This one's going to be a little bit different, so I hope you'll get a lot out of it. I just wanted to mention real quickly some of the events in the world of running in the last few days. Uh, the World Championships have been going on, as many of you know, over the last week and a half or so. By the time this airs, they'll be over. But just wanted to point out some really notable performances out there, uh, including the men or the women's marathon which was won by uh, Gautian Geber Selassie from Ethiopia, who broke the championship record because they had some pretty, well, uh, for many reasons, but they had some really good weather that day. So she ran really fast. But also, you know, we had three American women in the top eight, which is just great, led by Sarah Hall. And then Emma Bates was seventh, uh, Sarah was fifth, Emma Bates was seventh, and Kira D'Amato was eighth. So uh, the future for American women marathoning is looking very good. I hope the men can get up there sometime soon, but a great result for the women. I wanted to mention Noah Lyles, who uh, broke a record that I'm I'm not sure – you know, it was going to last for a long time. It's one that's permanently etched in my mind. The 200 meters, Michael Johnson ran 19.32 in the Atlanta Olympics. And uh, I like to say that one, I've just always knew that number off the top of my head. And Lyles ran a 19.31, not not a huge margin, but uh, broke a record that has stood for 26 years. So very impressive there. And then I also want to mention Sydney McLaughlin, who uh, I've been watching her at, ever since she was a phenom in New Jersey, run the hurdles. And she has become just an unbelievable 400-meter hurdler. And she and Delilah Muhammad, who is a stud for the United States, have been kind of going back and forth, setting the world record. Uh, It's amazing. The world record in that event was 53 seconds, not very long ago, 53.13, I think. And Sarah McLaughlin, Sydney McLaughlin, I should say, (laughs) I think Sarah McLaughlin's a singer, isn't she? But Sydney McLaughlin, who ran a 50.68 in winning the gold in the world championships. I mean, she slaughtered the field. She was like a second and a half ahead of the second place finisher, Femke Boll, who is, uh, she's pretty tough. She's from uh, the Netherlands. And then Delilah, Delilah Muhammad was third, um, almost two and a half seconds back, just an astounding margin there. And just to put some perspective on it, I thought this part was really interesting. And that Shante miller Uibo who won the flat 400 without hurdles, uh, her time was only just over a second and a half faster than Sidney McLaughlin ran the 400 hurdles. Think about that for a second. Only a second and a half, and she had to run over eight hurdles uh, on her way. Or actually, no, it's 10 hurdles in the 400 meters now that I think about it. Um, hurdling is one of my specialties as a coach in high school, so uh, it is something I, I do follow closely. And uh, yeah, I forgot you have eight hurdles and the three hundred hurdles that kids run in high school, but in uh, but when you get to college and beyond, it's uh, ten hurdles and it's four hundred meters. So just astounding run by Sydney McLaughlin, and she's only twenty two years old, so she just may continue to get better. And then speaking of young, uh, th- this weekend was the High Lonesome 100, which is a difficult 100-mile race here in Colorado. And Annie Hughes, who has been on this podcast, won the Leadville 100 last year at the tender age of, I believe she was 23 at the time. I think she's just turned 24. 
And she uh, came in, she was the first woman to ever run under 24 hours in the High Lonesome 100 and took second overall, including the men. So uh, just just a phenomenal runner. Don't know if she's planning to run the Leadville 100 or not, but, um, you know, that's, that's only, uh, what, four weeks off now, I guess. So I'm not sure if she's planning to bounce back and defend her Leadville title, but she, uh, like I said, conquered that High Lonesome 100 in under 24 hours, which is just remarkable. So just wanted to bring those up here. Uh, today's episode, I, I think a lot of you will like. Um, I'm going to be talking with Mike English, who is a guy who I used to coach when he was in high school. And he's right now training to run his first marathon. He's going to, out to Utah to run the St. George Marathon. And so what we do here is we kind of talk about his training program, what he's been doing to get ready for the marathon. And I'm suggesting, you know, some tweaks that he might add into his training, into his nutrition, into his hydration. So I thought our discussion might be very interesting to those of you who are maybe training for a first marathon, looking to run a first marathon, or maybe you're kind of, uh, you know, sort of a novice with the marathon, run one or two, and are looking to maybe improve your time by maybe making some tweaks to what you've been doing already. So I, I thought this conversation might be really interesting. It, it goes on a little longer than our typical power plays. But um, I, I think, like I say, you should be able to get an awful lot out of it if you're interested in training for the marathon. Um, Mike, as I mentioned, is somebody who I coached when he was in high school. Uh, he was a latecomer to running. He hadn't run in high school and uh, was a baseball player and suffered an eye injury from a foul ball. And he ended up coming out to run for us. And he ended up being a very good runner. He um, Got his two-mile time down to his 3,200-meter time down to 9.33. His senior year, that placed him seventh in the 5A classification at the Colorado State Meet. He ran a 4.27-mile in high school. So, um, you know, good times. You know, he, he certainly wasn't, um, you know, state champion caliber. But, uh, you know, like I say, he came along and um, ran very well. He went and ran after that in college at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. And... Um, he actually finished as high as I, th- I think his highest finish was his junior year. He finished 47th in the Division II Cross Country National Championships, uh, was, the, was the top finisher on the UCCS team as they uh, finished in the top 20 at that meet. And uh, if you know anything about college cross country, D2 is actually very, very competitive. So uh, top 20 placing for UCCS was great. Um, his, his time was, uh, I think, 32 minutes and change. So, um, you know, he, and this is, you know, again, on a hilly cross country course. So, uh, definitely a very good runner. And, um, but, you know, after he left high school, he, um, ended up, uh, you know, moving to Texas. He got married, a beautiful wife, Tambor. They've got a couple of kids. So, you know, like a lot of young, uh, dads, new workers in the workforce, uh, got away from running to a certain extent and has only kind of come back to it now that he's in his early thirties. And has uh, decided to run his first marathon. And so uh, he's being coached by his college coach, Mark Mish, down, down at UCCS. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about the program that he's on. And uh, again, talk about some tweaks that I've suggested that maybe he adds into his program as he gets ready for that race, which will take place in early October. So, um, you know, pretty fast course. It's a, a Boston qualifier. I think it goes slightly downhill. And... Um, at a little bit of elevation, though. So uh, it'll be a good challenge. So I hope that, again, if you are looking to run a marathon, have run maybe a marathon or two, or just kind of curious about how marathon training goes, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to, like I say, throw my two cents in here. We'll talk about how he's doing, and I hope you find it really instructive. So, um, And just before we jump into this conversation, I do want to remind you, the American Heroes Run is coming up September 9th and 10th in Longmont, Colorado. It is David Clark's brainchild. It's his way of honoring first responders, military veterans, and service people, and the lives that were lost on September 11th, 2001. And there are races from 5K to 9.11 miles, half marathon, marathon, 9 hours and 11 minutes, 24 hours, and 100 miles. So there's something there for every everybody. We spent a lot of time honoring uh, all those things I mentioned earlier. Very patriotic time there. Uh, The motto that David has given to the race is patriotism without politics. So it's a great event. I hope you can uh, come out and run. Go to ultrasignup.com and search for American Heroes Run. You go ahead and get, get signed up. If you are a first responder, military veteran, or service person, definitely get in touch with me. I will give you a discount code so you can save some money on entering the race because we'd love to have you involved. So uh, very, very much appreciative of all you folks who will be out in Longmont in September. So Okay, let's get to it. So without further ado, here is Mike English and me. Hey, Mike, how are you doing tonight? Good. How are you doing? Doing good. Just uh, been out running, 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 running. So um, I assume you're probably trying to do a lot of the same, right? Yeah, I don't know why. Um, Decided to start running a lot more than usual. So yeah, I'm uh, in the same boat as you. Well, you don't know why. You've uh, signed up for the St. George Marathon, so... Uh, that's probably a good reason why. Yeah, and I don't know why I did that either. So, um, <laughs> but here we are. Well, you know, I signed up for the Leadville 100, and uh, I, I know why I did it. My family doesn't know why I did it. My mom to this day still won't use the word Leadville. She just says, "Are you going to run that stupid race again?" So, <laughs> um, so how many years have you done it now? Uh, this will be number nine coming up. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not the smartest coach you ever had. Yeah, I don't know who willingly wants to go race 100 miles, but uh, to each their own. Sounds fun. What's amazing is they have to have a lottery now for the spots to get into that. Seriously? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they like try to fill like 1,000 spots. Maybe 700 people will show up. But um, when I first ran the race in 92, there were 175 of us. And now they have to have a lottery for 1,000 spots. How crazy is that? Yeah, uh, that's nuts. Yeah, it is. So in any case, you ran in high school. Um, That's when you started. You were a baseball player, and a little baseball mishap led you to uh, go out to to run. And uh, you, uh, you know, your your best event was definitely the longer events. I mean, you, uh, I still were, I can actually still remember your times from your senior year, if you can believe that, how you you progressed from uh, when we got a good taper going, you were a more more than 10 minutes in the two mile. And then we yeah. got down to league meet and you ran a 954. And then in regionals, you ran a 945. That's where in those days you qualified for state. And then you ran 933 at the state meet. So Dang. you do remember. All right. Yeah. It, it, you know why? Cause I use that story all the time about what a good taper can do. And yeah. uh, you know, the improvements you made there were pretty dramatic. And then you leveraged my coaching to get yourself um, a, an opportunity to go run in college. Right? <laughs> there you go, yeah. Yeah, the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, UCCS. And uh, you had a pretty good career down there, didn't you? Yeah, not too bad. It started off a little uh, a little rough, probably my freshman year. You know, I remember uh, first getting there and, you know, it's uh, amazing what not not fully training for college the first year can do for you. So, 
um, to those out there that are transitioning from high school to college, make sure you actually follow your training plan. So definitely do that. Didn't do that going in the freshman year, but well, I, I, I will give it a caveat though, because I, I'm yeah. I'm highly critical of college coaches who seem to be stuck on this formula of saying that incoming freshmen should run 60 miles a week, regardless of what yeah. their background is. Because right. uh, I've had kids who were like, you know, pretty much slotted in as middle middle distance runners running, you know, 20, 25, maybe 30 miles a week and suddenly gets told, oh, you have to run 60 miles a week by the end of the summer and ended up basically being broken and yeah. never, amount, never amounting to squat when they got to college. So um, yeah. I, I think some, I think more college coaches are a little more smart about that now, but there was a time when they were just stuck with this magic number of 60 miles a week. So um, if you're a low mileage runner and the coach says run 60 miles a week, better to go in under trained rather than be injured when you get there. But uh, your point is well taken though, that yes, you, you do need to do some work over the summer if you want to be prepared. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just don't be a slob and sit on the couch like I did and then expect to, uh, pick right up where you left off in high school. So, um, yeah, no, college was good and, uh, you know, definitely kind of eased into it and, feel like we we definitely hit our stride probably starting junior year through senior so on the back end of college but yeah i mean uccs was really a not on the map program back then and certainly it's a very valid program in the division two ranks anymore i mean like a, there are a lot of really good colorado schools of course but uh, uccs is in the armac the rocky mountain athletic conference which has got Western State, Adams State, Carter School of Mines has come out of nowhere to win national championships. You've got um, uh, whom I'm uh, this one school I'm missing there. I was thinking of, but but in any case, you've got some of uh, Division Two royalty out there, and UCCS has started to compete very well in that group. Yeah, no, I uh, I ran with one of the team captains a couple weeks ago in the springs, and um, he was just telling me about all the incoming freshmen. And where they're coming from, and they're they're all over the country. Um, and I was telling him when I, you know, when we came through, it was like ninety five percent local people, local kids. So yeah, UCCS wasn't known at the time, but now you got kids coming from Florida, Indiana, California, and all over the map. Yeah, they're pretty uh, they're pretty nationally recognized now. Yeah, game changer right there. And uh, you know, the coach the whole time there has been Mish, right? Yeah, he's been there since. Uh, Probably about, I want to say, oh four, oh five, probably. Yeah. A few years before I got there, so. Yeah, he was a young poke when he first got there. I remember that, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's Mark Mish, right? Do I have that right? Yep, yep, yeah, okay. Mark Mish. Yeah, okay, space that out for a second. And then uh, the women's program has done pretty well, too. It's it's had a little more up and down, I guess, but they've uh, certainly uh, been pretty competitive as well, right? Yeah, yep. I think uh, – I want to say both of them finished top 10 in the country and crossed this year. Um, I can't remember. They always kind of flip-flop with the, the men's team right? Um, on rankings and placings and stuff. So, All right. Yeah, no, the, the very good program down there. So uh, they've done a great job. Beautiful campus down there. They're up uh, you know, around 6,000 feet elevation, and uh, you guys probably got to do some pretty good trail running and training, right? Yeah, no, I uh, I definitely took it for granted, you know, just going down there, you know, from where I live at now to uh, whenever we get to go down there and visit the in-laws, you know, I take advantage nowadays of, uh, you know, the running environment. I get to go 
down to there. So I think we were there a month ago and two weeks in a row and made sure to get my long runs in in the springs because a uh, little bit better than, you know, running around Frederick on the county land roads up here <laughs> where I'm at. So, yeah, uh, for, for those who don't know, Frederick is kind of uh, north of Denver, maybe head to the east. It's uh, definitely kind of where uh, the plains begin. So it's right. uh, flat, boring. I, I, it used to be farming country. Now it is um, oil country, basically. So I'm sure it's really scenic running among all those oil rigs out there, right? Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Luckily, you can still see like Long's Peak and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't compare to the springs. Definitely some great running there. Right. And, uh, yeah, they recently had to change the high school's nickname there. They, uh, people are not happy. They used to be the warriors and, you know, had a Indian with a big headdress on and now they're the Frederick golden Eagles and nobody likes that very much. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah. But makes sense. Yeah. Nope. For sure. So, um, you, you basically after college, you, didn't run anymore after that. You just became kind of a bum. You moved to Texas where nobody exercises because it's too damn hot and humid. And, um, you know, got married, had a couple kids and, um, basically, uh, you're just a soccer dad there, so to speak. I mean, I know the kids are a little <laughs> young for that, but, um, but, but still you didn't do much of anything for quite a few years, right? Yeah. I mean, after college, um, you know, I, I actually started to lift weights thinking, you know, I can get big, which was a mistake. And yeah, uh, you, so yeah. I was, yeah, I know little scrawny 140 pound runner. Um, and I actually put on, you know, I don't know if it was muscle or a combination of all the Chipotle and beer I drank, but you know, I think I put on like 20, 30 pounds after. And, uh, you know, I was running here and there just cause I, you know, I'd get like an itch for it, but Definitely not consistent. I ran like the, what's the uh, running of the green in Denver. Ran that probably back in 2016. Actually surprised myself, did a lot better than I thought. Um, I think I finished like top 15, not expecting that. Well, I I mean, I know there are a lot of people in that race, but they're all hammered (laughs) because it's St. Paddy's Day, right? Yeah, I mean, the the 14 people I think I'd beat were – you know, mom's pushing strollers, so I'll take <laughs> right. it. But um, outside of that, you know, we moved to uh, we moved to Texas, and then you know, I got this idea in my mind. And apparently, I only get this idea when I, you know, am not in the best of running environments. You know, Frederick right now, the plains of Texas. I'm like, hey, let's run a marathon. So uh, I started training for that, and. I think December of 19 and uh, I was on like a three month program. I was going to do the Oklahoma city yeah. marathon in April of 2020. And then uh, we Mr. know what happens right around and yeah, you know, I was probably about 10 weeks into my training and feeling pretty good. And then, yeah, that just canceled everything and lost all motivation from there. So, um, you know, I, again, I was kind of running once or twice a week, maybe, but you know, nothing consistent. And then, uh, yeah, here I am. I, I decided, you know, I've been running a lot more where I'm at now, now that I'm kind of settled down a little bit in my house and everything. So now that I'm back in Colorado at altitude, figure it'd be a good time to, uh, kind of maybe resurrect the, the running a little bit more. So, right. So you, you have literally not raced at all probably since uh, the running of the green drunk fest or, or whatever. Or. <laughs> yeah. 
basically. So yeah, probably that was probably 2016 or 17. Okay. So, so we're just going to go just jump right into the fire here and take on a marathon. Actually, hold on back up in Texas. When I was training, um, a 10 K was part of my training cycle. I did do a 10 K. Oh, okay. And I, I won that one, but again, I was probably racing a bunch of moms and stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was, an, it was an elementary school fundraiser and you, you beat all the <laughs> soccer moms. Hey, a wins a, a wins a win. That's right. Okay, good. <laughs> all right. So, so tell us a little bit about what, what your training program looks like right now. And right now you are, let's see, probably two and a half months out from the marathon. Yep. October 1st. So I'm in, uh, I'm right in the middle of week five on basically like a 15 to 16 week cycle. That's okay. kind of what we estimated when I finally decided, you know, which marathon I wanted to do. So, right. <clears throat> you know, I was looking for a little bit of guidance. Um, and, uh, you know, when I was on my run, I was actually a couple weeks ago in the Springs on a long run with Mish and, uh, you know, told him kind of about my, my goal to do a marathon and, you know, ran by which options I was wanting to do. And, you know, just like you, he thought all three of those were pretty good options, Indianapolis, St. George, or the California marathon. Um, but I just didn't want to wait that long. I'm, I'm impatient. So I just wanted to, you know, take a crack <laughs> at the first one. Yeah. Cause Indianapolis, if I recall, was the same week as the New York city marathon early November and uh, the California yep. international that the CIM I believe is in December. So. Yep. They're all exactly a month apart, like October, yeah. November, December. So. Yeah. Okay. So I picked uh, St. George, you know, I have this uh, weird mentality where I feel like I run better at altitude versus sea level. I don't know why, but. Um, feel like I've always had some of my best races at altitude, and that's what St. George offers. And, uh, you know, it's a net downhill, right? which could be good or bad, you know, for the quads. But um, right now my training is, um, I would say I'm averaging between, you know, 50 to 60 miles right now. So nothing, nothing too pressing, you know, kind of building that base and making sure I'm doing a little bit of speed work in the middle of the week. And then, um, you know, definitely trying to put in a lot of time on Saturday mornings for the long run. So, um, okay. So Monday, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, usually Mondays are my medium long run, you know, anywhere between 70 to 80. Um, and then, uh, 70, 70 to 80 minutes. Yep. 70 minutes. And then he kind of has me rotating each week, um, between a, my workouts either a Tuesday or a Wednesday and they rotate each week. Um, and what do those workouts uh, look like? Um, let's see, what did I do last week? He had me do, uh, you know, two mile warm up. you know, do my normal strides and, um, you know, switch into some lighter shoes if I want to. And then I did a 10 by three minutes on like threshold pace. Okay. Uh, it was about 90, 90% effort. And then uh, he had me do a, a minute recovery in between each one. And it was 30 seconds standing and 30 seconds kind of light jog. Um, so the the standing, I'm, I don't usually like to just stand. So I kind of just do like a little light jog in place maybe. But um, it was about 40 minutes of, well, if you 
if you count the the one minute off, so it's about forty minutes of work. So okay, where, nothing where'd too you, crazy. Yeah, where'd you do that run? I did that about right at the end of my block. So there's actually the my pavement turns into a dirt road, and then it kind of circles around to the frontage road. So okay, you know, so, so, so just on a, a yeah, mostly dirt road then. Okay, yeah, mostly dirt. Okay, slide up, slide uphill too. So. Been incorporating a little bit more speed work. I would say the first couple of weeks were definitely more geared towards building more of a base. And now we're kind of throwing more of the speed work in there. I was actually supposed to have another workout this morning, which I I passed up because I've been a little bit under the weather since like yesterday morning. Um, still, you know, I'm, I'm pushing out my workout till tomorrow or I'm going to try to. And, you know, I got a 30 minute shakeout run in today just to do something, but um, yeah, not feeling the greatest. <laughs> yeah. All right. what, like a kind of head cold, but yeah, outside of that, I'm in the middle of week five, plan on doing a, a pretty good long run this week, um, this Saturday. And then, yeah, was that 10, 11 more weeks ago? Right. So, and, uh, so, so what, what kind of long run are you planning on doing and how often are you doing these long runs? So those are alternating as well. Whenever, <clears throat> excuse me, whenever I have a workout Tuesday, he's making me do a, a longer long run on the Saturday, um, which happened last week. I did a between two, two hours and two hours and 20 minutes for the long run. Okay. Um, and that's what the Tuesday workout. So this week alternated and now I'm doing a win. I'm supposed to do a Wednesday workout and then uh, has me going down in between 140 and two hours for the long run. So tone it down maybe 20 minutes, right? Uh, 10 to 20 minutes. Gotcha. So, yeah. And how, how have these long runs been feeling to you? So the first couple I did in the Springs, they felt good. I did two hours with, uh, um, with one of the team captains for UCCS and a guy from Western, um, did two hours. Yeah. And that was kind of my that was kind of my my big long run, probably the longest I had done in you know a couple of years since I was trained for COVID. I did a two hour run out in uh, Dallas, but felt pretty good considering the altitude. Um, you know, we we're in the Springs around the Air Force Base, so probably near sixty five to seven thousand feet, I would say. Okay, for most of it. All right. And uh, then the next week, I was right back down the Springs and. Uh, I uh, ran up Gold Camp Road with Mish, and we did two hours that day too. And that was uh, not a huge incline. I think it was like you know fourteen hundred feet elevation gain, just kind of gradual dirt road. But uh, um, you guys you know, did like pretty an, good on that. You did like an out and back on that. That one's an out and back, yeah. And then uh, most recently on Saturday, I you know once we moved into this house, we're we're right on I twenty five and fifty two, so you can see the mountains from our our place and i had this weird goal i was like i want to run from our house like you know to the base of those mountains well <laughs> that's you know, a long that's a hell of a long way there yeah it looked um you know looks can be deceiving and my wife was even like you know the mountains look like they're right there but they're really not so <laughs> right. you might want to like reconsider this and uh you know sure enough they're a little bit further than I thought, but I ran down 52 and I, I wanted to go to Boulder Reservoir. Um, I've been chatting with like Ian Butler, uh, who used to run for Western. He, right. he runs in Boulder a lot. And 
he told me good things about Boulder Res. You know, I'd never been there before. So it's literally just a straight shot. And, but it was on the shoulder of a highway. Yeah, you know, I know. <laughs> or, uh, let's see, it was a 17 mile run and probably 13 miles of those were, you know, on the, against traffic on the shoulder of the highway. <laughs> so, and there, there's no shade out there either. No shade at all. Um, you know, pure asphalt. And, uh, you know, even though I left about six twenty in the morning, you know, it, it still got pretty damn hot out there. <laughs> that sounds like just a guess, insane run to do there. Yeah. It was weird. I don't know. I, you know, I almost felt like pretty good at like the 13 mile mark when, once I hit Niwot gun barrel area. And then, uh, once I hit Boulder Res, I don't know what, I, I think I just started to hit a little bit of a wall. So I don't know, probably a combination of the heat, um, not enough water or something. I don't know. Or maybe I just wasn't ready for a, that kind of run. And, you know, I, I also took it out probably a little bit faster than I had needed to, like the first five miles. So Yeah, I was going to say, we're, we're definitely going to return to the uh, hydration nutrition portion of this. But, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago was you were running those long runs even at a pretty stout pace. And, uh, you know, my recommendation to you, and I'm not sure, you know, you say he, you're talking about Mish, is he the guy who's been giving you all this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think we talked about slowing down your long runs. So yeah. uh, um, the, the idea is to finish these workouts. You know, the, right. the last thing we want to do is, is croak in the middle of the workout. And I know you can't control the weather, but you can certainly control your pace. Right. Yep. And I uh, definitely took it out. You know, I think, uh, I think what hurt me and, you know, I was reading about nutrition and, you know, marathon training the night before. And I, I read something about this guy who he did 20 hours and tw- uh, 20 miles in two hours. I can't talk. And uh, while training for a marathon and, you know, I had this brilliant idea in my mind without really calculating the, uh, the pace. I'm like, I kind of want to hit 20 miles like during this two hour and 20 minute run. Uh, bad idea. So, well, I mean, yeah, know. that's six minute pace right there. Right. Yeah. That's, I might as well just go jump into a marathon and, you know, start racing right there. But, uh, I wanted to try to hit 20 miles in 220, which I don't know the pace on that. I'm guessing probably 630, which is about where I want to run. But, you know, just dumb doesn't make sense for, um, you know, for the objective and what I was trying to do. So, you know, sometimes I get in my head and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, the first few miles, let's, uh, let's try to, you know, put this under seven minute pace for the whole thing to see if I'm really in shape for a marathon. And right, um, right. sometimes I have to kind of control myself and uh, Saturday, I don't think I did. Right. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> All right. So uh, before um, I-, I dissect your program here a little bit more, what, what is your goal for the marathon? I want to break three and um, I want to run Boston. That was that was always my goal once I decided to do a marathon. I don't. I didn't want to just do a marathon. I had this uh, weird goal of just qualifying and r- running Boston. I feel like that's kind of the the mountain of the the marathons to be able to say that you ran Boston is kind of one of those cool things to do. So that's it. And uh, you know, you have to be not just at two fifty nine fifty to be able to run. You have to be considerably below. Um, sometimes I get, get into the race cause there's so many people wanting to do it, but 
Um, yeah, that's say, the part that always bothers me in that, you know, there, there was a time when there was a qualifying time, you hit the time, you're in. And yeah. I, I always thought, well, I mean, isn't that why you said why you put qualifying times out there? And now this whole thing that's like, oh, you can run a qualifying time and still not get in just really bothers the heck out of me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like you have to run like 253. Um, I did read, I think it's this year or last year at Boston, they are letting everybody in now based on their time i don't know if it's a one-year ordeal or if they're gonna keep doing that but yeah, yeah i'm not sure because short. yeah they uh they got a capacity there so i'm not sure how they're gonna manage that but uh yeah. but but in any case your qualifying time that was three hours is that is that right yeah yeah and how, yeah, how, how about 255 yeah how old hours. are you uh 31 31 all right so uh, basically, you're talking about seven minute miles there to run a. Uh, I mean, seven minute works out to three oh one, I believe. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, you're talking about you know get, getting under that. So if you're, let's just say you're aiming to run say a six forty average pace, something like that. Yep. You know, I still think you should be running your longer runs ninety to one hundred twenty seconds slower than that. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, there are other days you can be running faster, but I think if you want to get in, you know, those miles, I mean, there's certainly things you can do within those long runs too. I mean, as you progress with these long runs, you can certainly start throwing in some surges, even tempo them to a certain extent. But, um, but I still think though that your typical long run, if you're going to go out and run for, you know, two and a half, three hours that you should be toning down that pace quite a bit. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, Back in March, and you know, I, again, I'm like trying to compete with myself, but um, I don't know what I was training for back in March, but I, I think maybe a marathon, and then I kind of lost motivation again. But I did a run from my house, and um, I did a, a 16 mile run and 6:43 pace the whole time, and I was feeling pretty good. Okay. About and, uh, you know, probably pretty dumb to just go surging along for 60 miles, but I kind of just started feeling good. I'm like, I'm going to try to keep this up for the whole time. And I was able to. So I think that's kind of what, you know, triggered me a little bit to wanting to try to run those a little bit faster. But now, now that I'm actually trained for a marathon, you know, I, I know to, uh, kind of crack down on those and control my, control myself a little bit, you know, control yeah. my ego or whatever it is <laughs> that's trying to push me below you know, a pace I need to be at. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you talk about the, the, the speed work you're doing, you talk about that one workout where you're doing, uh, what was it? Three minute bursts. Did you say there? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, three minutes is actually by, by a lot of coaching research is almost the ideal length of time to be doing speed work. Um, but you know, I, I think, a couple things. One is I would like to see you doing some kind of transition work, you know, before going just from building base and then diving into doing speed work. I'd like to see you do a little bit of transition where you do things like fart licks, tempos, and hill repeats. And okay. I, I think by getting your legs moving that way, it'll prepare your legs a little more for the hard work ahead. So, I mean, you're already kind of into that hard work a little bit, but you might even consider doing one day a week of, you know, whatever speed that Mish is wanting you to do. And then one day of that kind of transition work and the tempos can be, um, the traditional kind of tempos where maybe you warm up for 10 or 15 minutes, then you go out and take it out, you know, maybe your marathon pace for 15 minutes, 
back off for five minutes and then go back and do another five minutes at your marathon training pace and then cool down. Um, that's okay. more, that's more the traditional kind of tempo. Um, I've, I've got workouts I have people do, I call them tempos. They're not really tempos, but, um, I, they're called, I, they're either 31s, 52s or 83s. The thir- 31s basically are three minutes easy, one minute hard. The, uh, uh, 53s are five minutes or uh, 52s, five minutes hard or five minutes easy, two minutes hard. I, I can say that. Yeah. And then, uh, the others are eight minutes easy, three minutes hard. And, um, and then you can do several sets of those. And again, it's not a true tempo, but I think that it's good to kind of get your legs turning over within the context of a longer run. Um, Is that something that you would do all at once? You know, you're, you jump out there and you're in your training shoes and you do like a 15 minute warm up and just jump straight into that. Um, yeah, you would kind of workout. Yeah, but I, I would I would just do those in your trainers. I would not sit there and you know do those in racing flats or anything like that. And switch and take a break and all that stuff. No, no, there's no break. So right, you know, okay. But again, the the break is you're gonna you know, like with the thirty ones. You're gonna go the three minutes right. easy, and then you're gonna do the one minute harder. And, gotcha. um, okay. and then or 52 or 83, whatever you, you know, whichever workout you're doing there, but it's um, just a matter of alternating those paces. And that's, again, what you typically do in a typical uh, tempo run anyway, where you maybe you're going like, say, for 15 minutes harder, you know, marathon pace and then take a break and then, but you're still running the whole time. Okay. Yep. And that's pretty similar to like a fart like, right? Kind of just, you know, random little bursts or. Yeah. I mean, the fart licks are more randomized. You know, I mean, okay. like, you know, I had the kids on my team doing that yesterday and I tell them, yeah, you go out and you run to this fence post, you run to the street sign, you run to that fire hydrant, you run to that tree, whatever. Um, yeah. you know, and it's, it is all kind of random distances and intensities, but again, it's just kind of that transition, getting them used to turning their legs over more before we give them the more formal speed work. Right. Um, hill repeats, I think would be very valuable to you because you're going to put in the same kind of effort as you would into speed work without nearly the amount of pounding when you're running, you know, doing repeats up hills. So, okay. um, you know, sometimes with, with, uh, kids who are track runners, you know, I have them do, um, you know, maybe 50, hundred yard, 150 yard, 200 yard kind of hill repeats. I think in your case, I would probably gear it towards time. And you, you might even find a, a decent hill. You're not going to find it in Frederick probably, but, um, you know, find yourself a, a hill that you can get on and maybe do, say, three by 120 seconds, three by 90 seconds, and three by 60 seconds. So kind of do those because, you know, obviously you're going to be increasing in speed as you do the, yep. the shorter and shorter ones. But um, again, you, you know, you're going to be going, you know, fairly longer distance in those 120s. And, uh, you know, just a chance to get your legs pushing, doing, some, doing yeah. some hard work without doing all the same pounding. Take it super easy going down the hill uh, when you're doing those kind of workouts. Yeah. And, and so that, that's another good transition workout you can do. The, so the, the hills, the tempos, and the fart licks, I think, would all be good to do. It's part of that transition before you start getting to the meat of the speed work. And then in terms of speed work, um, I actually have a workout. I, I just call them marathon intervals. So, um, as opposed to, you know, your traditional track workouts where, you know, most of your repeats aren't going to be more than say 400 or 800 meters. Um, in this case, I actually have runners do one or two mile repeats. 
Um, I go to I go to Waterton Canyon a lot to do these because it's perfect. You got that gradual flat road. It goes on for about ten kilometers all the way up to the dam, and then you can run back. So you can actually do this as part of like a twelve and a half mile workout, where basically you do a mile at your maybe a little faster than your marathon pace, and same thing with the two mile. Um, again, they're they're kind of like intervals, but they're just much longer distance like that. Okay. Well, it'd be like the. Um what would be like the cool down or something from a one mile or two mile repeat like that? You know, you can even do, you know, two or three miles before you actually start getting to the workout. Because again, it's yeah. going to be part of a much longer, you know, maybe a 10 mile run where you're going to throw in these one or two mile type repeats. So, you know, okay. it's, it's part, you know, it's, it's not a part of a long run, but it is a longer type of day. Um, again, because it's not as much intense intensity. You don't have to cut down the mileage that much. Gotcha. Yeah. In between the in between those mile repeats, though, what what would be your typical cool down on something like that? I would do a jog equal to the length of the repeat you're doing. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Um, I would also work in a downhill workout or two, no more than that. But you know, being that St. George is a net elevation loss, what what is the elevation loss there? Do you know? So you're starting at 5,500 and I think you finish at like 27. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, you're going to feel that at some point, you know, your, your quads are going to feel that pounding. So, um, it would be worthwhile to do a downhill workout or two and they're not very long. You know, you don't want to do too much of these. I would encourage you to do them on like a grass hill, something that's real gentle and, yeah. you know, just do some sprints going down the hill. The cool thing about doing downhill sprints is you get your legs going really fast. And yeah. um, like I say, you can find a hill maybe, I don't know, a couple hundred yards long and just yeah. do some pretty close to all out sprints going down that uh, with your form, keep your body perpendicular to the slope of the hill. So you're going to basically bend at your ankles. Don't bend at your waist or anything like that. But make sure you are leaning forward. You know, you're not leaning backward and breaking yourself. And right. uh, keep your arms really loose. I mean, your arms are almost like airplane wings. You're just out there using them for balance. But, you know, just go ahead and fly down that hill and um, maybe do three or four of those in a given workout. Um, okay. Again, you don't want to do those too much because uh, those do tend to overstress your body a lot. But I think that'll help your quads because you're going to be doing some serious pounding going downhill at St. George. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely recommended by by Mish too. I just got to find a good hill for that. I'm thinking maybe uh, Magnolia Road up in Boulder. I've never ran that before, but I think it. Oh, you you need to go up there. That's I mean that yeah. that, that place is uh, legendary. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. I am. Um, that's kind of funny. I had a race I ran in. Oh God, a really long time ago. I don't, I don't know if I ever told you the story. I ran within ten minutes of the half marathon world record. so uh it was this race was the same day as georgetown to idaho springs which is a half marathon out here that drops about a thousand feet from georgetown to idaho springs and i thought oh man i don't want to do a race that does that much downhill so i found this half marathon in basalt and it it started at rudai dam and ran down to basalt which basalt is a town kind of halfway between glenwood springs and aspen and it turns out this race dropped by double that amount it was a 2000 oh, foot elevation drop and it was on a, it was on a paved road. And I mean, I was just flying on this road and, um, and I ran within 10 minutes of the world record. Um, at the time, the time the world record was one Oh one, I ran a one eleven 
half marathon yeah. on this course. It was just a screamer downhill. And that includes the fact that at about mile 11, I turned around and started running backwards for a little bit because my quads were so shot. I was just, I, I was, I was joking with this guy next to me. I said, God, I would kill for even a flat section right now because it was nothing but screaming downhill. And like I say, I actually yeah. ran, ran backwards a little ways and I still ran a one eleven. So, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah see, I'm doing that same run Georgetown, the, um, Idaho Springs. I I didn't think a thousand feet would be, you know, a thousand feet over thirteen miles doesn't sound like a lot, but maybe maybe it really is. Yeah, and the thing about Georgetown, it's a little deceiving because it's not all downhill, and so yeah, you know, you're going to make up that thousand feet actually in fewer miles than that, and because there are a couple sections that actually deceivingly kind of flatten out or even go uphill a little bit, especially towards the finish, which kind of sucks because you're just like sitting yeah, there just cruising and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 I got to go uphill here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. No, I I definitely agree with your um, your inputs on the training plan. You know, I, being five weeks into the 16 week, you know, it's probably about time to start kind of incorporating, you know, more of that into the plan, don't you think? Um, oh, yeah, definitely. You know, more, no, it, or the Farlex tempos, would you would you recommend adding, you know, making that just one of the typical recovery days? Um, you know, keep my Tuesday or Wednesday workout, but incorporate more Fartlek or Fartlek or tempo, you know, on one of the, you know, two days after that or two days before kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, um, how, how many days? How many days a week are you running right now? Six. I'm taking, uh, I take Sundays off. Okay, good. So um, what you might consider here is, so if Mish is giving you a speed work to do on Tuesday or Wednesday, and you're doing a long run on the weekend on Saturday, you might consider, yep. you know, if, if you have a Tuesday workout, maybe incorporating one of these t- um, transition type runs on Thursdays. Yep. Okay. All That's right. what I was thinking. Yeah. And Wednesday, maybe, you know, maybe do like a, a light one on a Friday before a long run. Yeah, I would keep you know the miles or keep obviously the intensity really low on Wednesdays and Fridays. Yep. Okay. Yep. What do you mean by keeping the intensity low? As you know, in terms of like pace, you know, don't go screaming out there like on a threshold or. Oh yeah, no. You're you're going to be getting enough work on Tuesdays. If that's the, your speed work, um, if Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, you know, Saturday being the long run. So you really need Wednesday and Friday to be your recovery days. Recovery workout type workouts? No, 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 they're not work. Don't look at them as workouts. They are just easy run days. Uh, Okay. I gotcha. So yeah, if if the workout's on a Tuesday, you know, incorporate like a threshold or a fart like on that Thursday, but the following week, you know, when the workouts fall on a, on a Wednesday, maybe. Yeah. Then then I would not do this additional run. Gotcha. Okay. Because otherwise, um, you know, you'd be running hard on Thursday or Friday and you'd either have back to back hard days or a hard day back to back with a long run. So that doesn't make much sense. Gotcha. Okay. No, but take the recovery days seriously. I mean, you know, keep those, you know, maybe those are days you're running 40 or 50 minutes and keep them like super chill. Okay. No, I, I do like incorporating a little bit more. Um, you know, Mish, Mish made a comment about like, you know, making sure you're doing your strides and your drills because you got to remain, like, you got to retain some like athleticism and like remain 
athletic through, through like through all these miles and you know I don't want it to get to where I'm just doing this you know one workout a week and then the long run and it just kind of flows week over week and kind of gets repetitive I right incorporate like you said a threshold or a fartlek in there and kind of get the legs turning will keep me quote unquote athletic and you know um, you know allow me to get the legs you know flipping over quicker so I mean that'll be good. I'm sorry, what's that? Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. You kind of cut out on me for a second. Oh, no, I was just, I was just saying I think uh, that one extra day, you know, will get the legs turning and uh, keep me from, you know, kind of getting bored and, yeah, uh, you know, lethargic, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, the other thing I would also encourage you to do is – um, you're talking about trying to be athletic. I would encourage you to be doing some other stuff on the on on certain days, uh, things like hip and glute strengthening work, hamstring strengthening work, uh, core work especially. Yep. Um, I, I like to do kind of that weight kind of work. You, know, you can do body weight training. You can do go to the weight room. I like to do those on your hard days. So okay. keep the hard days hard, and you know on the. Let's just say the you know Wednesday and Fridays, if those are going to be easier run kind of days, those are good days to do core because that's not terribly intensive on your body. But if you're going to do any kind of body weight work, weightlifting work, um, again, do those on maybe those Tuesdays or Thursdays to keep uh, you know again stress your body more on those days. Keep it all isolated then, so you've got more days that are just really pure recovery days. Okay, yeah, I've been doing core um, slash strength training twice a week, usually Mondays and Thursdays lately, but I'm definitely open to switching those up. So, Yeah. I mean, you might still do the core on Mondays and Wednesdays, for instance, but yeah, if you're going to do any kind of heavier stuff, yeah, I would, I would do those again on the days you're doing hard stuff already. Okay. Yeah. So, um, cool. you know, you got to definitely put a, a heavy emphasis on your form, you know, cause if you're doing them <laughs> after you're tired, you want to make sure that you're not, um, you know, doing them, you're losing your form because you're already dog tired out there, right? Right. Yeah. And yep. even, you know, consider, especially when with all this hot weather going on, you, you know, you got, you got to play it by ear a little bit here. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. And speaking of that, you know, we've talked a little bit here over the last few weeks about your nutrition, um, about hydrating and fueling out there. So, um, you know, are, are you carrying water on your long runs or are you, you know, what do you, how are you accomplishing hydration when you're out there, say when you're running for a couple of hours? Yeah. So on the long runs, I have a, a handheld bottle. Um, it only holds about 18 to 20 ounces. Okay. So um, carry that with me. And then I carry my gels with me. If I'm uh, definitely doing over, you know, probably anything over an hour and a half, um, I'll try to incorporate some gels, not necessarily because I feel like I need them, you know, when I'm on those kinds of runs, but uh practicing kind of for the half and the full, um, you know, trying to, trying to do those every, I don't know, it ranges from 35 to every 45 minutes for a gel. So still trying to work all that out, but in terms of uh, fluids, yes, I'm carrying, carrying water. It, is it enough? Probably not, you know, considering, considering what some of the, the studies say about how much you should have every, I don't know, 15 minutes or every hour, uh, you know, according to the the books, I might not be getting enough water in, um, which would be something good to talk about. 
Yeah. Well, you know, most of the research will show that you can your stomach can absorb anywhere from 16 to 28 ounces of fluid per hour. Um, one of the biggest mistakes that runners, especially in the ultra world, get into, but it's true in the marathon world, is actually taking in too much water. And, yeah. you know, it just ends up sloshing around your stomach because your stomach cannot absorb it. And you also have to consider when the your blood flow is going to your muscles, there's less going to your digestive system. And so your GI tract is just going to end up cramping up on you here a lot quicker, which is the reason why, again, it's only about 16 to 28 ounces that you can really absorb. It'll The higher end is probably going to be in hot and humid weather. The lower end, of course, you know, in, in a cooler day. But... Um, you know, the philosophy I like to use is what I just call steady drip. I didn't come up with that on my own. It's I've heard that I've stolen the terminology from elsewhere. So, um, you know, in the ultra world, you know, a lot of people come into an aid station and they pound down a bunch of food and drink and then they head back out on the trail. And that's probably not the best way to do it. And of course, if you're running a marathon, it, it, it doesn't quite work that way. You, you know, you're going to pass several aid stations along the way. There'll be tables and you can grab water and whatever electrolyte drink they have. And so I definitely would encourage you both in training as well as when you're racing is look at that steady drip as your rule of thumb. So, you know, let's put that in more practical terms. If you could absorb 16 ounces, I'm just going to use that as a nice round number, 16 ounces every hour. Well, that's easy to say, hey, I'll drink four ounces every 15 minutes. So, yeah, you know, that works out pretty well. Obviously, if you want to aim for the higher end of that 28, well, then you're looking at seven ounces per every 15 minutes. But you know, that's usually a pretty good interval right there to just, you know, take sips and keep sucking down a little bit. You know, obviously, if you're carrying your water, you can do more sipping. If you're actually in the race, you're gonna have to wait till you get to those aid station tables. And again, I think it just helps out a lot to be able to keep it spaced out enough so that you're, you know, absorbing a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time and, and uh, keeping kind of an even steady drip going. Okay. Yeah. And I tried that a little bit on Saturday, you know, I kind of told myself, you know, even if you're thirsty a little bit, don't drink until every two miles, which at that was about every 14 to 15 minutes. So, um, it was just kind of a quick little, um, spray in the mouth. Definitely wasn't probably any more than like an ounce at a time. So, um, could have been, you know, a little bit under, um, or dehydrated at that rate, you know, right. just a little, every 15 minutes especially for the heat but yeah definitely want to incorporate more of that you know and just like you said kind of just maybe every mile or two and just get a tiny little cup drink it down um that's another thing too is like the electrolytes i'm trying to figure out that in my sodium intake yeah you know they're they're gonna have gatorade out there um at every table too but obviously i'm not practicing with gatorade on my runs you know i'm not carrying goose water and gatorade so you know what i really want to you know play with fire and try gatorade out on the course you know they say not to ever try anything that you don't train with no definitely so, not yeah would be a little bit worried about that I've, um i've actually looped in uh one of my buddy's ex-girlfriends he's or she's a dietitian and she does triathlons and uh she was helping me out yesterday with some of my nutrition questions for about 45 minutes. And, uh, she said, I definitely need more sodium. It sounds like that's probably why I, uh, kind of bonked on Saturday. Yeah. I told her my legs got heavy and she said, you're probably 
really dehydrated. You know, you're not drinking electrolytes before your runs. Um, you know, all those recommendations, but I just, I'm trying to figure out how I would incorporate more electrolytes during a run um, outside of the goose. If in fact I actually need more, you know, I don't know if I need more than I'm already intaking when I'm doing like two or three goose during my run. Yeah, no, th- those are valid questions. And again, the, the ultra world is a little different than just the pure marathon world. Um, it is useful to have some electrolytes going into the system. Um, you know, in a lot of races, uh, they, they basically mix the electrolyte drink probably a little too strong. And so, you know, the general advice quite a bit of the time is grab a cup of electrolyte drink, grab a cup of water and cut it in half. Um, yeah. that's usually enough to give you enough electrolytes. There is a danger, especially in hot weather races, when you're just drinking, drinking, drinking a lot of water and not taking in electrolytes. It's something called hyponatremia, where yep. basically you dilute the electrolytes in your system so badly, it can actually lead to death. Um, you know, it was kind of an unknown thing. And then I think in Chicago, I think they had a couple of runners die. Typically, more often it's female runners, interestingly enough that have problems uh-huh. with hyponatremia. But at the same time, um, it's an easily surmountable issue there is, you know, getting some electrolytes, whether it's by drinking an electrolyte drink or even taking some E-caps, you know, some electrolyte caps, uh, capsules, just to get that up there. Now, that again, that probably applies more in an ultra, but when you're in a race, yeah, you probably just want to rely on whatever electrolyte drink, drink they have. So, Knowing what they have, it's probably a worthwhile thing to try to practice with that a bit. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily practice with it while doing your long runs. You can practice with it on, say, a 10-mile run, something where you're carrying a bottle and, um, you know, it's going to be enough for the entire run. And so you could fill that with whatever that electrolyte drink is. Try it. See how it works for you. Or at least start training your gut because they're finding more and more that your gut is trainable, just like your muscles are. And so you can get okay. your, your gut used to this. Uh, is it Gatorade Endurance that they're using? Is that the, the formula? It's just regular lemon-lime Gatorade. For real? Wow. Yeah. Gosh. I, which, I, which is going to be sugary. You know, I just... I'm probably, I'd probably be okay, but you know, um, you know, I speak with the dietitian and she, she has this, uh, technique called, uh, was it prehydration? Right. Where before some of her athletes the night before she'll drink that element drink or like a liquid IV. And mm-hmm. those are 500 to a thousand milligrams of sodium. And right. She said, usually, you know, drink that with, not a ton of water, you know, two hours before you go to bed and so you're not peeing all night and you know, <laughs> right. basically just loading up on sodium, which seems like a lot. And then she said, you know, maybe do your usual noon or something in the morning before you go run, you know, just something like a little electrolyte tablet or you can or any of those that she was naming off um, and then get out the door. But she said, usually that allows you to not have to carry additional electrolytes or stop and drink Gatorade throughout the marathon. Um, hmm, interesting. You know, and so, so she's t- touched on a point I was going to bring up, uh, just a little variation though, is hydration is not something that you just do during the race or even the night before. Hydration is something that needs to be worked on, especially in this kind of uh, climate we're in right now. 
um, you should be just drinking all the time. That's what I tell the kids on my team. It's not just like, oh, guzzle a bunch of water before the race and you'll be fine. I mean, right. you know, because um, I, I know sometimes I've been to the doctor, they've done my blood test and they go, yeah, you're just like chronically dehydrated. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was the way I was that day. And maybe I'd done a long run before my doctor's appointment, but it's something that does need to be worked on constantly. So definitely work on the hydration. Now actually loading up on electrolytes, that, that's pretty interesting there, but you know, maybe it is a good thing. I haven't heard that technique before, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, that, that's a tough thing when they have the, uh, something like Gatorade. I mean, the old, old Gatorade, you know, was back when it was invented back in University of Florida days. It was a pretty decent drink, you know, it was, um, you know, mostly it was, you know, salt and potassium and, and you know, water basically. And now, of course, it's gotten all sugary and, uh, who owns it? Like Coca Cola or something like that, and they've just you know turned it into just a a, a non fizzy soda anymore. So, um, yeah. so I, I guess you know my suggestion might be in this particular case is no, maybe you shouldn't drink that. Maybe you yeah. should should rely on your gels instead. And yeah. you could even carry a couple of e caps. I mean, those are pretty easy. Um, you know, they're, they're virtually those are just pretty. Those are just like full on actual pill looking capsules. Right? I've yeah. Seen them. Yep, that's they all just, they are. They must digest pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, they're just okay. like they're just like any other capsule you take. But you know, I'm not sure. You know, it's it's possible you won't even need something like that. Right. Um, you know, you stick to your normal diet, and you know, it, you know, it's only a marathon. I know that sounds funny, but it's you know, you're only running out there for you know under <laughs> three hours here, hopefully. So okay. it may not be the most necessary thing in the world for you. Yeah, I think that's just my biggest concern. Um, as weird as it is, you know, not, not really the, uh, the training. Um, it's more, you know, more of the nutrition is my biggest, I wouldn't call it a stressor, but what's on my mind more about the marathon, you know, what I'm more concerned about something going wrong is the nutrition. And really, I don't think the hydration part is a big concern, you know, especially they're going to have water everywhere. Um, it's really the carbs and the, uh, the electrolytes. So yeah, I'm just in that I, you know, do those properly and don't bonk or get cramps or, you know, start puking everywhere. So. <laughs> you know, and that, that's the funny thing about the evolution of the marathon. Um, you know, I have, I have an old uncle who was on three Olympic marathon teams back in the 1920s and 30s. Um, never got to compete in any of them. But back then, it was, you know, basically for the rich and you had to pay your own way. And he was a cobbler from Brooklyn um, who actually made his own running shoes. But um, back in those days, they were taught you don't drink water during the race. I mean, I even grew up with that. I had a soccer coach. I remember when I was growing up telling me, <laughs> this is the, the greatest logic of all time. Um, he said, Stahl, you don't drink water when you're exercising when it's hot. He says, like, it's, it's like pouring cold water in, in the hot radiator of your car. What happens then? And I go, well, I don't know. It cracks. And he goes, there you go. That's all he said. And I'm just supposed to jump and make that inference from the car radiator cracking to that's what's going to happen to me if I drink water when I'm out exercising in hot weather. We used to, we used wow. to, we used to have to take salt tablets. That, that was their recommendation. Talk, talk about disgusting. I still remember, you know, just puking my guts up from not drinking water, <laughs> but drink, eating salt tablets. My, my old uncle, though, he ran a 229 at the Boston Marathon and they he didn't drink any water. The entire race. In fact, back then, Boston started at noon, so they had time for breakfast. And you know what they ate? A steak. 
<laughs> that was the common thinking then. Yeah, they, they ate a steak. They ran at noon, heat of the day, didn't drink any water. He ran in shoes he made himself out of leather. And I'll add to it, his training consisted of running quarter-mile repeats. Because wow. Lydiard hadn't come around with this idea that, oh, maybe you should run long distance to train for long distance. So – yeah. Incredible. But in any case, the point of my story, though, is that like, you know, by the time I was running, my first marathon was in 1979. And yeah, we drank water during the race, but we didn't, there were no gels or anything. We didn't eat anything during the race. Um, kind of the early theory about carbo loading was coming out there. And so, yeah, we would sit yeah. there and eat, you know, huge plates of pasta you know, the night before the race, basically. And then they did more research and found, well, maybe you should do your carb loading over three days. And there was even a theory about starving yourself of carbs for the three days before your carb loading. So, you know, basically eating, you know, everything but carbs, and then your body would be like a sponge, ready to absorb those three days of carbs you're going to shove down it. And then you'd be just hyper-loaded and ready to run 26 miles. Well, of course, we all hit the wall anyway at mile 20 because your, your liver can basically only store about 20 miles worth of glycogen, which is your main energy source. So then, of yeah. course, they started in with the idea of, well, maybe you should take some nutrition during the race. And um, talk about, you know, I mean, it was so blissful and simple back then. We didn't have to think about all the stuff you're thinking about right now. So, so, but, you know, talking about your, I mean, yes, it is possible for you to run a marathon without any kind of nutrition during the race. It's, it's been proven over the years. It's possible. Is it optimal? Maybe, maybe not. So, yeah. So going with the gels or, or whatever, um, yeah, every, you know, 45 minutes or whatever you could try, I would try even, you know, maybe every 30 minutes in training, see how it works for you, see how you feel. And, you know, we talked before about how much water you can, how much fluid your stomach can absorb. Your stomach can absorb 250 to 350 calories per hour. So, you know, look at the gel, see how many calories are in it, and then kind of divide that into 250 to 350 to see how many times you should maybe take a feed during the race. Okay. Yeah, they're about 100 100 calories each, and they have about 20 grams of carbs each. So. Yeah. So by that formula, maybe you do one every, you know, by that theory, it'd be like one every 20 minutes or something. Well, that, that may be a little bit of overkill there. Yeah. Um, 30, because- 30 to 35 sounds good. I, I tried 40 um, this last Saturday, which was down from my usual 45, but yeah, I'm going to try those. Yeah. How, um, how did that work so, for you? Um, I think pretty good, you know, besides kind of, you know, my third one was way too late. I, I was just trying to stick to the 40 minutes, but um, I was only doing two hours to 2.20, and I stopped at 2.05. So, I mean, I, I took one, and then I was done five minutes later, but I was just trying to stay, <laughs> right. trying to stay on that 40-minute 40, 40 yeah. uh, time thing. So, um, I don't know. I don't know why I bonked. Maybe it's just uh, heat going out too quick and all that stuff, but um, – yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, from a carbohydrate standpoint, you can always recover. You know that, that the one thing you can't recover from is dehydration. Once, right. once you're, once you get into that dehydrated state, you are pretty much screwed. And so, uh, the carbohydrate thing, you can bonk, you know, whatever you want to call it, and you could still get some carbohydrates in you and magically come back. So. okay Uh, i mean obviously you don't want to get to that point but you know it it doesn't have to be the end of of things if that does happen to happen all right 
as long as I'm just sipping water throughout the thing and actually hydrated, I'm good. Yeah, that's definitely going to help you a whole lot. Exactly. Do you have any recommendations for um, like before just regular training runs and before a race in terms of uh, what you're eating or drinking? Like for me and for, I'm assuming most people, um, most average people are probably waking up early in the morning and then, you know, they're probably getting out the door within 15 to 30 minutes, which probably is not the most ideal, but um, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, I don't, want to drink or eat anything i feel like it's going to be sloshing around but I've, I've started to incorporate at least eating something small to kind of you know get my sugar levels up or whatever you would say and drinking a little bit more water um even though it's so close to going out the door and running even a recovery run um you know any anything you would recommend or not eat or drink that close or um just kind of want to hear you know, your thoughts on that, you know, if, yeah. if I should actually be eating something or drinking anything that, that quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I, I don't think there's any harm in drinking. Um, you know, a lot of people will get up and have a cup of coffee, for instance, before they go out the door. Um, yeah. I'm not a coffee drinker, but, um, you know, drinking water is not a problem. I mean, you need to be, you know, hydrating anyway. And you need to be basically getting your body used to having that water in your stomach to a certain extent. Like I say, your, your stomach will absorb it, but you know, you're going to need that hydration. That's not something, again, that you can store overnight very well. Okay. Um, in terms of calories, I mean, unless you're going over 20 miles, which again is that threshold where you, your liver had to, only has so much glycogen and, and maybe it's going to be a little low, you know, if you haven't, you know, basically stored a lot of carbohydrates, you may not even have that 20 miles in you. But let's say you're going out for a, you know, morning 10 mile run or something, you're not going to use up all the glycogen in your liver. Your energy is based on what you ate the day before. So, yep. you know, it's like I get kids all the time who, if we have a, a morning cross country race and, you know, the race is like nine o'clock and I sit, we're on the bus there at seven thirty, and they're sitting there eating. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, coach, I'm hungry. It's like, you don't need this energy. All right. Well, yeah. what your energy is going to come from what you ate the night before. All that's going to do is sit in your stomach. And for a hard 5k effort, like they're running, that can be a real problem, especially since <laughs> they don't train with the idea of having food in their stomach. Like I would say for running an ultra marathon, um, right. earlier you mentioned, you can, which actually is something that I happen to like a lot. Um, but you can actually, you know, you, you kind of associated it with electrolytes. It doesn't have electrolytes. It's, it's a cornstarch product. And, Depending on how much you use, it can give you um, hour, hour and a half, maybe even up to three hours worth of energy. And so um, I actually will drink that um, before I go out and do a long run. I will drink it before a race even. I mean, I've even run, you know, like short races and I will drink some Yukan um, half an hour before the race because it, it just, it settles really well with my stomach. But if I do, do if I do the two scoops, um, like uh, yesterday, I went out and I ran uh, 21 miles. We ran up, um, up to about 13,200 feet in elevation and I started at 6.15 in the morning. So, you know, it's not like we had time to eat a whole bunch beforehand. So, um I think, uh, yeah, I, I actually did the two scoops. So I'd have, because we were out there for hours and, yep. um, yeah, I did two scoops of that, you know, drank, drank that before I went up and, uh, took several gels with me. I was just kind of practicing with the same kind of gels that they're going to have at the Leadville 100. So, um, and I felt great, got me through terrifically, but I, I do like that you can an awful lot. Okay. 
And so you're, so you can, or any kind of electrolyte drink you're, you're probably okay with, um, before a run that quickly. That's kind of what yeah. I was recommended by, yeah, my, uh, her name's Dana. She was like, yeah, you know, eat if you want to, you know, you don't have to eat something before you go run, but if you want like a half a banana or a little peanut butter bagel or something, sure. It's not fully necessary, but she recommended definitely like incorporating more electrolytes or something a little bit before a run. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, this time of year I do most of my running in the morning and I don't need a thing before I go out when I run. Yeah. Just a basic like recovery run. You mean? Yeah. If I'm just going out and doing a, a five, six, seven mile run in the morning, no, I, I don't need any nutrition for that. I just, I'll drink water, but that's it. Okay. Yeah. That's what I do now. I drink a little bit of water and I'm, I pour like a one or two ounce, like little shot of like cold coffee, just to give myself like a <laughs> caffeine boost. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, okay. Well, I'm going to probably practice with that more. And then, uh, you know, of course, if I'm, if I'm going to do something like that before long runs, uh, might even try to incorporate that before a race. Of course, I got to practice. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as the, the gels that you've been using, um, you know, there are so many brands out there anymore. I mean, it's insane what's out there. And to me, it's a matter, uh, you know, especially since it's not like you're relying on the race, you can basically bring whatever you want it is a matter of finding out what works best for you there. Um, there's some, yeah. you know, you're talking the other day about those Morton ones that, uh, and that's M A U R T E N. Um, th- those things are just loaded with sugar. That's kind of crazy, but you know, they've done their research and the, you know, there's certain people who definitely, do well with that amount of sugar. Uh, there are a lot of other brands that of course don't have that kind of sugar. Um, I've used some by spring energy and by Muir M U I R. And they're both more like real food kind of, uh, gels, which not everybody likes, but I, I happen to like them an awful lot. So lots, okay. lots and lots of products out there to try. Yeah. And I, I read something today, like, you know, marathons or any kind of race, for how early they start, you know, some people stress out about, Oh, what do I got to eat? Like that morning, like do I have to wake up three hours before the race and eat something, you know, you can get away with that. And maybe it recommended maybe having a, a gel or two, like five minutes before the start of the race. That way you're not, it's not fitting your gut long enough before you start. Um, so that's, that was kind of interesting. Yeah, thought, I don't have a problem with that because there are a lot of races that, uh, you know, let's say the New York City Marathon, for instance, where, um, I don't know, what is it, by like 7.30 in the morning, you're you're getting on the Staten Island Ferry or something to get out, to be taken out to Staten Island for the start, and then you're sitting around for, you know, in a corral for hours. And, I mean, the race itself, I don't, if I recall, doesn't start till like 10.30 in the morning, so – um, you know, you can certainly get up early and eat a breakfast and then still go out there. Although I would prefer not to personally, I, I just, you know, don't like to have that kind of food in my stomach if I'm trying to run fast. And it's kind of funny when I say right. that a marathon is a, is a sprint to me in a way, but, um, <laughs> but, but still it's like, yeah, I'm not sure if I really want to have that kind of food in my stomach, but, um, but yeah, I would probably look at something liquid too. Also, I mean, like say if I had a, you can, you know, maybe I put it in a regular water bottle I can throw away or something or, you know, or even, you know, things like a banana, for instance, you know, sometimes it's enough to satisfy people and bananas are so easily digestible. So, you know, again, it's a matter of trying things that work for you. Everybody's got their own concoction. Yeah. I think the race St. George starts at, uh, is it six 30 or seven in the morning at my <laughs> 
my fiddle's at 4.45 a.m. So um, the, the good thing is it was originally at 3.30 and I got them to switch me. I was like, I'm going to die up there for three hours sitting on a mountain. So Yeah, yeah, it could probably get even kind of chilly at that hour. Yeah, they... I read they have a bunch of fires, like just fire <laughs> sitting around. You just stand by the fire for three hours, but yeah, you know, I'm I like, re- how do you, how do people even sleep? You know, when you have to, it must be like a four hour night before sleep or something. Hey, that's part of the challenge there. You know, it's, it's, it's like the Leadville 100. We start at four in the morning. So, um, yeah. and you know, with the nerves and everything, and by the time anybody settles down, it's, you know, usually nine, 10 o'clock, whatever. So, you, you know, you're sleep de- deprived at the starting line and then you're running all through the night. So that that's part of the challenge. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. I ran a, um, what was it called? It was called the uh, Lost Dutchman, I think, marathon in Arizona, which was in February. It starts in Apache Junction. And so they drive you up this uh, desert canyon. And so you're starting at a little bit of elevation and like the first nine miles are just steady downhill. But um, But you're up there before dark. And it's February, and so they did the same thing. They had a bunch of fires, and you just kind of hung around a campfire there, inhaling campfire smoke, and um, nice. you know, and and then uh, yeah, before you go to the starting line. So it, it was actually kind of cool, but um, but yeah, it was, that was kind of a different experience there. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I was I was told to wear just a bunch, go to the thrift store and wear a bunch of clothes that you don't care about because you're just going to throw them out anyways. And right. So. Yeah, very common. One of the funny things at the start of New York City Marathon is the gun goes off and everybody just throws their clothes up in the air. So you got this huge, just, you know, clothes yeah. flying through the air and then, of course, landing all around you on the ground. And so your first several steps of the New York City Marathon, you're actually like striding on clothes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like picture if you uh, did your laundry and then just dumped it out on your floor and you're just kind of running over it to start. That, that's that's the start of the New York City Marathon. Most people don't see. Perfect. I have two kids, so I know exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And a wife, so. Yeah. yeah. So, so what other questions do you have? You know, random question while, while we were talking about that, um, that I was thinking about like today, I was like, do you, do people warm up? For the marathon beforehand, or do you, do you do, it's twenty six miles, right? You'll warm up in the first two. Yeah, if your name is so. Kip, Kipchoge, you probably warm up. Um, if if <laughs> if your name is English, uh, you probably don't need to do a whole lot. I mean, you know, you're you're looking to move fairly quickly here. I mean, yeah, if you're you're the type of guy who's runner who's looking to run it in five hours, then yeah, the first couple miles are definitely warm. I mean, it's like, does anybody warm up before the Leadville 100? Not many of us do where, you know, the first right. few miles is our warm up. So, um, I mean, you might consider doing, you know, maybe it's not so much as doing a bunch of runouts or something like you do before the start of a 10 K, but right. you know, you could do your, uh, w- whatever warm up things you like to do, your leg swings, your, um, you know, maybe some, you know, high knees, butt kicks, whatever, just to kind of loosen yourself up, especially since, you know, you're going out there at four 30 in the morning and, and, uh, yeah. you know, it might be chilly, you know, just do, do whatever you need to do to loosen up. But I certainly wouldn't go out and say like, Hey, let's go do a couple, run a couple miles here to warm up. I mean, <laughs> right. I, I wouldn't do that. Okay. And, uh, actually with, uh, with shoes, marathon shoes, I'm, I'm a stability wearing, person um, i wear adrenalines that probably there, there's probably no such thing as a marathon stability shoe correct like a racing shoe it's 
it's probably one of those kinds of races that's short enough to not have to worry about, you know, neutral versus stable or overpronating any of that. Well, I mean, there's certainly, there are some people who run in a racing flat type of shoe for marathon. Um, you know, you get your vapor flies out there or something, but I, I think the, the typical marathoner should probably run in trainers and, um, you know, that, that little bit of difference in weight is just not going to be worth it in terms of how much you're going to lose in terms of losing cushioning. Um, yeah. you know, you're, I, I've, I was just mentioning this uh, yesterday on this run that I would rather run 50 miles on trail than run a 26 mile marathon in terms of what it does to my body. Um, yep. I can run 50 miles on trail and feel great. I remember the New York city marathon in 2017. I felt beat to hell from running on 26 miles of pavement. Honestly, I hadn't trained on that much pavement. You know, most of my training is usually on trail. So I, I think yeah. that, um, you know, you, you try to run in shoes without a lot of cushioning and that, that could be something you regret later on. Right. Okay. Good call. Good call. So probably just running my, my Brooks. Yeah. Your adrenalines uh, are probably just fine for that. You know, you like okay. I say, very few people are going to be wearing vapor flies in this race. Right. <laughs> yeah. 250 bucks on those. Right. right. They're pretty sweet. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, they're very sweet if you're trying to break two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a dad trying to break three. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, what else? But, um, That's really about it, you know. We hit on the uh, the training plan and, you know, the, the nutrition and everything, the shoes. I, I wish uh, there was a way to not get sick or, you know, have setback days, but that's just the part of the experience, so. You know, of course, I I missed my workout today, and I'm like, oh shit! Like, how do I? It's gonna throw off my whole plan. Oh, but I'm only in week five, so it's kind of one of those things that you just gotta deal with and realize that you're not even halfway through your training plan yet. So, yeah, and uh, you know what? You actually bring up a really good point that there are going to be some people who say, well, I missed the workout here. Um, I'll just go ahead and slot that in on, you know, Friday, you know, whatever. And it's like, yeah, but you have a long run the next day, you know. So, yep. you know what? The, the workout, you, you missed the workout because you were sick, it's done. Forget it. Just just, okay. just move on. Um, I mean, basically, it's more important for you to get healthy at this point. So the last thing yeah. you want to do is try to prolong this. And you certainly want to, don't want to compound the issue by going and doing a back-to-back hard workout with a long run or two back-to-back workouts, whatever it is. So it's done. Move on. Okay. All right. You know, I I guess kind of the last piece I want to touch on too is that like being your first marathon, it's very common to think that, ooh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. You know, it's no, I'll tell you now, nobody goes to the starting line of a race practically and says, I am just perfectly trained for this. Everything has gone well. And, you know, training could not have been any better for this. You will go to the starting line thinking, well, I wish I'd done one more long run or one more, you know, workout or whatever it is. You yep. know what? It, you got to go with what you got. And okay. No, that's a good point because I'm definitely that overthinking person. Like, oh, shit. Like, remember that Wednesday that I made that podcast with Stahl that I forgot my workout? Right. I'm going <laughs> to screw it all up today. Yeah. No. Um, you just, you know, you have to believe in your training. You have to believe in what you're doing. And, um, and you, and remind yourself of that even halfway through the race when, you know, things will get tough at some point, 
You know, you're, nobody ever runs a marathon either. And the whole thing is just, oh God, I feel fantastic the entire race. <laughs> Never happens. In fact, if it does happen, you're probably not doing enough work out there. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So um, that's the point though, when, when things get low, and that's probably a whole topic we could have covered here for another 20 minutes, the mental aspect. But when things things get low, you have to trust your training. You have to know that you, you've done the work, you've done the miles, you've done the workouts, you, ha- you have it dialed in, you have enough to get you through whatever rough patches you hit, because they will occur. Okay. No, good to know. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, also keep in mind, there are going to be things just totally unexpected that happen, things that you never planned on, whether it's... Um, Oh, you're, you're about to start the race and you're tightening your shoe and the shoelace breaks. <laughs> I mean, you know, some, yeah. something totally messed up that you couldn't have anticipated. You know what? You just find a workaround. You know that, I mean, that's the great part about distance running is you find solutions to things. I mean, when you're running ultras, for instance, you run into situations like, okay, how am I going to get through this? I mean, I still remember the first time um, I, I was running a race where my feet were just totally trashed, you know, at Leadville. I mean, and so what did we do? We threw duct tape on the bottom of my feet and that's how I got through the race. Now I never practiced running with duct tape on my feet. I never <laughs> anticipated that, but it's like, you just work out problems. And in that case, duct tape seemed like a really good, good solution. It did get me through the race. I couldn't get the duct tape off my feet for three days after that, but that, you know, worry about that later. So, uh, right. again, know that there are going to be totally messed up things that happen. You know, the, the, you know, the bus you're on, for instance, to the start breaks down and all of a sudden you're arriving at the start half an hour before or something, or who knows. So actually, actually want to mind that. So you don't have to sit there inhaling campfire smoke, right? Yeah. So maybe I'll, uh, purposely let the air out of the tires. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Well, actually, a funny story is um, I banded the uh, Boston Marathon one year, and um, my friend and I we um, we saw these buses that took everybody from the finish line back to the start in Hopkinton. So um, there was this one bus though nobody was on. So we figured, hey, we'll sneak on this bus, and then when all the other runners come in, we'll just kind of pop up and you know just blend in with all the runners in here. Well, we're sitting there, sitting there, and nobody's getting on this bus. And at one point, we realized, oh, this bus isn't going. You know, it, it was broken down or what, whatever. This bus was not going to the start. So um, suddenly we had to go scramble. We had to figure out how the hell we we're going to get to the start here. We actually ended up bribing a bus driver, you know, of a bus that was going to the start. I think we gave him 10 bucks or something just to let us on the bus <laughs> so we could get out there. But, you know, again, you, uh, you know, who, who knows? All, all of a sudden, you know, when we thought we were going to get to the start with plenty of time, we're now cutting it close. Yeah. That's yep. wild. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, so be ready for anything. Trust your training. Those are probably come of the, uh, the bigger, b- bigger mental things I can tell you here right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Will do. All right. Well, good. Well, hey, this has been a good chat here. I hope uh, listeners get something out of, you know, the things you're working through for your first marathon that'll hopefully apply to, you know, if they're training for a marathon coming up this fall themselves. And um, you're out there in social media. Where can people find you out there, Mike? Um, let's see, mostly Instagram, Snapchat, you know, Twitter, if you want to follow my, uh, I just talk about sports all day, so it's nothing uh, too fancy, but yeah. So uh, what's your Instagram? I am a uh, runner, Mike eight, runner, Mike numeral eight, right? Yes. Yeah, so I've uh, had the same email address since, uh, 
middle school actually. So yeah. Yeah. But that, 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 that's your Instagram though, not your email, right? It is. Yeah. And I'm actually just uh, double checking to make sure. Yep. Runner Mike eight. <laughs> right. Pretty funny. <laughs> yep. It was runner Mike eight all those years when you weren't running either. Oh yeah. I know. I should have just been like lazy dad eight. So. Right. Right. All right. Well, good. Well, uh, you know, this has been a great chat and uh, certainly uh, let's keep in touch here as uh, you move towards St. George on October 1st and um, you know, keep up the good work here, you know, get get out there and get the miles, get, get the work done, get, get healthy too. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, for sure. And uh, say hello to Tambor and Maddox and, uh, I can't even remember the name of your youngest one because I've never met them before, but. <laughs> yeah, Kyler. Kyler, like Kyler okay. Yep. Yep, haven't met I the will. little one, so cool. All right, man. Well, thanks so much. Yep, have a good night. You talk too. Talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks very much to Mike for this really helpful talk, or at least I hope it was helpful to him, hope it was helpful to you if you're looking to run marathon, improve your marathon training preparations and and what have you so that that was a lot of fun talking to mike about what he's working on here leading into the saint george marathon and just a reminder i have uh, runners i coach if you are interested in receiving my coaching help please get in touch with me i coach runners who are uh, obviously uh, running track races all the way up through marathons and ultra marathons. So drop me a line at silly underscore Billy at msn.com, or you can reach me at Facebook and Instagram messengers and uh, love to see you achieve your goals. So thank you very much again for listening to the, we are Superman podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you can load all new episodes onto your phone. And if you enjoyed the podcast, the best thing you can do is share it with your friends or in social media. And please take a minute and give us a five-star rating. And I'd be humbly honored if you'd write a review as well. These five-star ratings and reviews help us make more episodes and rise higher in the podcast services, search algorithms, helping more people find our show until next time. Always be positive. <laughs>